How do you deal with it when everything seems to be falling apart in your life? Do you, do you go to pieces or are you calm? i got to tell you the truth because nobody needs this message here today more than I do. The truth is I tend to be a worrier. If you could get close enough to me this morning, you would find that my nails are closely cropped, but they haven't been cropped by a manicurist. They've been cropped by teeth. I, I, I just struggle with being cool when I'm under fire. I, if, if I'm not careful, I can go to pieces and just sort of lose it. I wonder, do I have any brothers or sisters like that here today? I mean, I've admitted it, so go ahead and help me, okay? I mean, some of you, you may just be really cool. When things go wrong, you're just cool. And I'm not talking about being dull, like the guy on the television commercial who keeps getting fired and he's chewing cereal and he's chewing so loud he can't hear it. I'm not talking about being dull. Some of you are just cool. When things go wrong, you're just even killed and you're cool. That's where I want to get to. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. How to be cool or how to be at peace when you're under fire. And I can't wait for this sermon today because I need to know how to be cool when things are going wrong in my life. And my prayer is that each one of us will have a clearer understanding of how to deal with pressure. Our series is called G2 or Generation 2. And what the G represents is the word generation itself. And the exponent there, G to the second power, represents what happens when one generation passes on its strengths to the next generation. If you're a second generation Christian, it should be your focus here today to have all of the benefit of the previous generation and none of its baggage. If you can live that way, if you can leverage everything that you're Parents and those who went before you had that is good, if you can leverage that and not carry the baggage with you, you can actually rise to an exponential level of living out your faith. Our story is about a prophet in the Old Testament whose name is Elisha. Elisha is the second generation prophet. The guy before him in generation one, his name is very close, but a little bit different. His name was Elijah. Elijah was a powerful man of God, but he was a lot like me. When he was up, he was up. When he was down, he was down. If you read about Elijah in generation one, you read about a man who went up on top of Mount Carmel and prayed and God brought down fire from heaven. They had this national revival. It changed the climate of things where people had been worshiping idols and they had now a desire to worship God. But within a few hours, the queen, who was an idolater, got mad at Elijah, threatened to kill him. And the next time we see Elijah, he's not the brave man standing on the mountaintop. He's hiding in a cave asking God to let him die. Now, I can understand that because my life is sometimes like that. I have these high moments and then these low moments. That was how Elijah was in generation one. Whenever you read the story of Elisha in generation two, he's just the opposite. He's very cool. Throughout his life, he has the power of God and he never seems to go to pieces. He leveraged Elijah's strengths without carrying his baggage into his generation. That's where I want to get. And I don't know, I've got a long way to go. Maybe some of you are already there, but I want to learn today how to be cool when I'm under fire. Our story picks up in 2 Kings chapter 6, right about the middle of the chapter. There's a story that begins something like this. The king of Aram, who was the leader of the enemy of Israel, the king of Aram determined to send down some raiding forces into Israel and to strike before the Israelites could collect themselves and defend their cities or their towns. The only thing was 
The king of Aram was upset because every time his army got down there, the Israelite army was waiting on him. And so he called his top brass together, and he wanted to know who the traitor was. He said, we have a mole in here. We have a spy. Somebody here is passing along military secrets to the enemy. And when our forces get down there, they are waiting on us. And he said, we want to know who the spy is. You may have been through some tough meetings in your business, but I got to tell you, I would have been scared to have been in that meeting because each person fell under suspicion. The king of Aram wanted to know, who's the spy? Finally, one timid soul raised his hand and he said, boss, it's not one of us. Nobody here is telling the king of Israel. He said, down in Israel, there is a prophet named Elisha, generation two guy. There is a preacher down there. There is a man of God. There is a holy man down there. And he's telling the king of Israel everything that's going on here. And he said, even if something happens, if you say something in your bedroom, for some reason the king of Israel hears about it because that preacher down there is telling him. We don't know how he's doing it. We don't know how he knows. But somehow he, he knows and he's telling the king of Israel. And the king of Aram said, well, that's no problem. I mean, we're, we're letting this guy be a stone in our shoe. He is a burr in our saddle. Let us just take a big army down there and we'll wipe this preacher out and that'll be that. We will finish this story. And so upon a night, the king of Aram executes his plan. He springs his plan. He sends down an army to get one man. I remember some of the comedies of the 80s, you know, some of those harebrained comedies where Joe Q. Citizen, an innocent guy, wakes up in the morning and he discovers that his house is surrounded by police troops and SWAT teams and there are snipers aimed at, with guns aimed at his house and he doesn't know what's going on. That must have been how Elisha's assistant felt when he pulled back the blinds and looked out and there was an army surrounding their house. Now that's a situation, that is a recipe for going to pieces to have an army surrounding your house and an entire army coming to get you. It's at that point that I'd like for us to pick up the text in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. The Bible says, So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Ah, my Lord! What will we do now, he cried out to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened his servant's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Can you get this picture in your mind? Gehazi, Elisha's servant, opens the windows and he sees an army of men and he's saying, we're outnumbered, we're dead. And Elisha said, don't worry about this, this is not a problem. And he begins to pray and he said, Lord, open my servant's eyes and let him see what's really out there. And when he looks out, he sees that not only does this army of Aram have the drop on them, but God has an army of angels that has the drop on the armies of Aram. At that point, Elisha begins to pray. And he says, Lord, 
strike these men with blindness. And at that moment, that entire army becomes blind and they don't know where they're going. Elisha walks out of the house and says, you know, guys, I know who you're looking for. Follow me. And so these blind guys, each one followed the guy in front of them. Have you ever seen the story, you know, about somebody leading the criminal to the police station? That's what happened. The king, uh, Elisha led these men right into the king of Israel's palace. And the king of Israel, who was not serving God, he was not a strong man of God, but he looks out and sees the prophet with an army of his enemy walking up. And the king of Israel says, what do I do? Do we kill him? And Elisha says, no, we don't kill prisoners of war. He said, feed them and send them home. And so these blind guys, they got a big meal prepared. And Elisha sent them home, and here comes the king of Aram's army back to him. And when they tell him what happened, he says, you know what? I don't think we ought to bother these folks anymore. I think we ought to let them alone. And that's the end of the story. Wouldn't you like to be like Elisha? Wouldn't you like to have that coolness, that grace under fire that causes the story to change? I'd like to have that. This morning, I want to give you six thoughts that we learned, six lessons that we learned from our story here that will help us be cool when we're under fire. Here's the first one this morning. Even Christians in God's will are sometimes under fire. As I travel and speak in many places, the number one question I've been asked, even since I've been a kid preacher, is how can I know the will of God? Now, I'm not making fun of that because I think there are many people who sincerely want to do what God wants them to do. But sometimes I think underlying that question is an idea that if I could somehow find out how to be in God's will, all my problems would disappear. The Bible teaches us that even Christians who are in God's will are sometimes under fire. Think about Elisha for a moment. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He wasn't in any kind of a moral relationship. He was not a profane man. He was not dishonest. He was just doing what God wanted him to do. And one day he opened his windows and there was an army out there to get him. You know, you can be serving God and have all kinds of problems in your life. I may be talking to somebody here today and you say, Mark, I got so many problems. I must not be in God's will. Hey, just because you have problems doesn't mean that you're not where God wants you to be. In fact, the more you serve God, the more you have an enemy. Study the Bible. Read about guys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were told if they did not bow down and worship the image, they would be thrown into a furnace of fire. Read about Daniel who was told if he prayed, he'd be put in a lion's den. Read about David and all the conflicts that he encountered. And even our Lord Jesus who was right in the middle of God's will and yet suffered difficulty after difficulty in his life. But now I want to deal with an issue this morning that some of you may have considered in your life because I know I've certainly considered it in mine. What happens when you're going through difficult times and you're trying to sort out where those times are coming from? Have you ever been in a situation as a Christian where things go south and you begin to ask yourself, is this God chastening me or is this an attack of Satan in my life? I just want to ask here today, and there's nobody here but us in this second service. I wonder how many of you could raise your hand and say, Mark, and just be honest, 
Mark, there have been a few times in my life where stuff went wrong and I had to ask myself, is this God or am I being attacked? How many of you have been there? Would you raise your hand? Because I have been there myself. I don't think you'll stay there very long because I think pretty, sure, pretty soon God will reveal to you what's going on in your life. But for just a brief time in my life, when things went south, I had to ask myself, am I being chastened by God or am I being attacked by the enemy? Here's the beautiful answer to that question for any of you who ever entertained that thought. The answer is the same either way as to what you should do. If you're under attack and you don't know if God is chastening you or if the enemy is attacking you, your course of action is the same either way. And it's this, humble yourself. When you're going through bad times, humble yourself. Don't be proud and say, why is this happening to me? Don't be proud and say, I deserve something better than this. When you go through hard times, let it bring you to your knees and humble yourself before God. For if you are being chastened by God, if God is chastening you, the Bible tells us that God has mercy on those who will humble themselves before God. The Bible says that those who are stiff-necked when they're being chastened will be soon struck. So if you are being chastened by God, the thing to do is to humble yourself. Most of the time, that will not be the case. What will be going on in your life is the enemy will have you in his sights just like he did Simon Peter on the night of Jesus' arrest. The enemy has attacked you, but the answer is the same. Humble yourself before God. You're not strong enough to defeat the enemy by yourself anyway. Humble yourself and let God work. I'm not sure, I, I didn't uh, put these verses in my sermon early enough for them to be in the IMAG, but you can jot down the text and look at them later. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, the Bible says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and in his good time he will honor you. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about what happens to you. James chapter 4, verse 10 says, When you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on him, he will lift you up and give you honor. Don't you like that? So regardless of where your attack is coming from, the answer is the same. Humble yourself. But remember this, lesson number one. Even good Christians in God's will will sometime encounter opposition. Here's number two. There's no benefit in going to pieces. I put that in there because when you're in a crisis situation, everything within you will encourage you just to fall apart and lose it and go to pieces. I do that sometimes. When things just look bad and bleak, I can just lose it. For a few moments, I'm saying, oh, this is terrible, and it's going to be so bad, and I can envision every bad thing that can happen, and I can go to pieces. But you know, there's absolutely no benefit in going to pieces. You can sit and cry and worry about everything, but at the end of the day, that's not going to change anything. Amen? How many of you have discovered that like I have? It will not do you any good to go to pieces. Now, I'm going to preach this because some of you will be in a situation where somebody else will be in a crisis, and it's important for us to learn this. You know, when people go through a crisis and they go to pieces, they expect you to go to pieces right along with them. They want you to go on the trip with them. Gehazi, when he pointed out to Elisha all that was happening, he was saying, Master, what are we going to do? Gehazi was going to pieces. He wanted Elisha to fall apart with him, but he didn't. There's absolutely no benefit in going to pieces when things go wrong. Remember this. There's a powerful influence in the life of somebody who has calm confidence in God when the crisis hits. If you are one who can keep your trust in God when the storm is raging, you will have an influence during that time that will be unparalleled. 
I don't have time to develop this this morning, but when you go home, you might want to read Acts chapter 27. Acts 27 tells the story of Paul being shipwrecked. He was a prisoner on his way to be tried, and he is in chains. He's a prisoner. He warned the owner of the ship not to take the voyage because he said there's going to be a storm. And sure enough, as they got out of the water, a storm hit, and nearly everybody was lost. By the end of chapter 27, Paul is telling everybody on board, including the captain, what to do in order to spare their lives. All I'm saying is this. If you are one who can keep your confidence in God when things are bad, you will have an influence in the lives of other people that will be unparalleled. Now, lesson number three and my favorite point of this morning's sermon. Number three, remember the enemy is visible, but your help is invisible. Think about this for a moment. This army of the Arameans who was collected around Elisha's house were visible. Gehazi could see them. But there was an army of angels behind them that was invisible. Now, somebody here this morning could say, Mark, I'm going through a lot of tough times. Everything I can see looks bad. That's true for a reason. It's true because your opposition, your problem, is always something you can see. It's something you can touch. It's something you can taste. It's something you can smell. And it's right there before you. And it presents itself to you in such a way that it's all you can think about if you go by only what you can see. Your opposition is always visible, but your help is invisible. Remember that your help is there and it's invisible. That leads me to number four very quickly. Because our help is invisible doesn't mean that it's any less real. Think about this. I I use the word help here today as a broad term because I want you to consider if you're God's child, the help that you have when you encounter difficult times. First of all, the Bible teaches us that God has his angels here to protect you. That's, That's what was surrounding the Aramean army was an army of angels God had sent his angels to protect Elisha. How powerful are angels? We read in the Bible about how that one of God's angels destroyed an army of 185,000 men. God has left his created angels, his created beings here to protect and to watch over you. I really believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to hear some interesting stories about some near misses in our lives where God protected us by the power of his angels. They are ministers of God who, does, who do what God has instructed them to do. And then after that, you have the Holy Spirit of God, the invisible personage of God who dwells within you. And then you have the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the book of Hebrews, who is ready to run to the assistance of those who call on him. And you have God the Father in heaven who is waiting to hear from you. Now, today, you can't see angels, you can't see the Holy Spirit, you can't see Jesus, you can't see God the Father, but they are just as real as the problems that you're facing. They're even more real than the problems that you're facing. The Bible teaches us that God is there in our lives even when we can't see him. Interestingly, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For that which is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You say, Mark, if I can't see it, I don't believe it. Huge mistake. Because everything you can see is going to pass away. Everything you can see is temporary. 
You say, well, Mark, I see you. You're eternal. No, no. You see my body. That part of me that's eternal, you can't see. Everything you can see with your physical eyes is temporary. It's the things that you can't see that are eternal. The next time you have a crisis in your life, you may see the evidence of all your problems. Don't forget that your help is invisible, but it's real, and God is there in your life. Many of us have stories. I was sitting on my deck meditating on this message last night, and a story came back to me many years ago when we lived in Bel Air. I remember one night I'd taken Jonathan and Jared over to the rec center to play basketball. It was a cold winter night. And uh, while we were playing, Jonathan slipped on the floor and fell on his elbow. And, and I didn't know if it was broken or not because he was really demonstrating pain. So we went home. And, and that night before we went to bed, I, I told Jonathan, I said, I don't want you to go to your bedroom to sleep. I want you to sleep in the living room. Let me describe our house that we lived in in those days. It was a two-story house with a basement. In the top story, there were all the bedrooms. The middle story, dining room, kitchen, living room. And in the basement, there was a small family room and a small bedroom where Jonathan slept. And since my bedroom was on the top floor, I said, son, I don't want you to sleep in the basement tonight. I might not be able to hear you if you call me. So I said, would you just sleep on the couch? It just popped into my mind right before I went upstairs to go to bed. I said, son, would you sleep on the couch? If you start hurting in the night, you can call me and I'll hear you. The next morning when I got up, just something didn't seem right in the house. There was just a, a scent of something. I wasn't sure I smelled anything. There was just a scent that wasn't right. And before I left to go to the office, I told Mary Alice, would you call the gas company? I know it's not natural gas. It doesn't smell like natural gas, but something just doesn't, doesn't seem right. And I drove from my home in Bel Air to our old location on South Hillside and when I got to the office, several members of the staff were out on the sidewalk waiting for me, and they said, Pastor, you need to get home as fast as you can. And when I got to my house, the people from the gas company were all throughout my house. You see, a house had not been ventilated properly when it was built, and it was filled with carbon monoxide. And the lady who had performed the test throughout the house showed me that there was so much carbon monoxide in my basement that the indicator was off the chart. And as we walked down through that basement bedroom, she pointed to a bed and said, nobody slept there last night. I said, you're right. How did you know? She said, because if somebody had slept there last night, he'd have been dead by 1 o'clock in the morning. Now, you can hear that story and you can say coincidence, but it wasn't coincidence. See, my help was there. It, it was invisible. I didn't see God there. I didn't see angels there. I didn't see the Holy Spirit there. I didn't see Jesus there. But my help was there. Please don't think that because your help is invisible that your help is not there. Your problem will always be visible, but your help will be invisible. But just because it's invisible doesn't mean it's any less real. Billy Graham says, Christians should never fail to sense the operation of angelic glory. It forever eclipses the world of demonic powers as the sun does a candle's light. Isn't that wonderful? I want you to take your Bibles this morning because I want you to see this very important lesson. There are more on our side than there are with the enemy. 
You have such power in your life if you're God's child. You say, Mark, I've got problems. I'm just going to give up. It's not going to be good. Listen, you've got so much power in your life. Look at Romans chapter 8 and scan down to about verse 31 of this great chapter. Romans 8 verse 31. The question is, what can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God who gave us Christ also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us? Whom God has chosen for his own? Will God? No. He is the one who has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ Jesus? No, for he is the one who died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or cold, even in danger or threatened with death? Verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't. The demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we're high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to understand this morning that you've got help if you're in a trouble. If you're in a crisis, you've got God's help. But here's the bottom line today in the last point of this morning's message. When you and I face a crisis, we've got to choose what we're going to fix our focus on. Because, see, the, what's in question is not whether you're going to win or lose. If you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're on the winning side. That's not what's at stake. What's at stake is whether or not you're able to enjoy your life and whether you're able to be at peace when you're under, storm, when you're under trouble. I read... Uh, in, the, in one of Catherine Marshall's books, she writes about a friend by the name of Marge who got on an airplane to fly to Cleveland. And as the plane took off, she looked out the window on one side of the aisle, and it was beautiful. You know what it's like when you take off in the evening and sun is shining on the clouds? It was beautiful. But on her side of the aisle, looking at her window, it was dark and foreboding and cloudy. Very clearly, a storm was in the works, and she thought to herself, you know, I can choose whether I'm going to look out the window with the clouds and the sunlight or whether I'm going to look out at the storm. But then she had a second thought. She thought, you know, regardless of which window I look out, this plane is still going to Cleveland. You know, you and I can choose to put our eye on our problems or we can put our eyes on God. At the end of the day, God's going to take care of us. What's at stake is our peace during that process. I'm preaching to myself today because at the age of 48, I have lost many good days of my life. I have lost many nights sleep because I have worried about things that never materialized. I am by nature a warrior. And I think to myself, you know, I would like to have back those nights that I spent in sleeplessness. I would like to have back those days that I didn't have the attention on my family and on my friends because I was worried about the storms in my life. According to God's power and according to God's will, you're going to come out victorious. God will take care of you. What's at stake is your peace during the storm. Let us pray.
Our God and Father, I come to you today and I ask that your Holy Spirit will make these truths very real in our lives. Lord, the truth of the matter is many of us do go to pieces when things go wrong. But help us to realize that we're not in it by ourselves. That even though our problems may be visible, our help is there, invisible, but there. And I just pray for your people today who are going through tough times. Lord, I know from the employment climate in our city that there are probably some here today who don't know if they're going to have a job tomorrow or not. I pray that your peace will be upon them. Father, there's some here today who are going through health problems, some with family difficulties. But, oh God, I pray that you would help them to know that they're not alone. And even though things may be scary, they don't have to go to pieces because there are more with us than with our enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please?